In today's passage, we're going to see how Jonah responds when his running from God finally catches up to him. But before we start, I think it would be good to remind ourselves of how Jonah got here. So I just want to give a brief explanation of verses 1 through 6. Because here's the deal. Jonah just didn't magically wake up on a boat in the middle of a storm that God sent because of his sin. There were events and decisions that took place that got him to the place of where he is at. And it could be said about the same when it comes to our backsliding. There are decisions and events that get us to the place of running away from God. You know, I've, I've heard it said like this before. Nobody wakes up saying, gee, <laughs> I just want to become an addict today. I want to be addicted to go ahead and fill in the blank. I remember as a, a youth sitting uh, at uh, an event that our church put on where this youth speaker called Runks, strange name, but we'll go with it, Runks said, backsliding is a lot like running late for a place. You don't always end up thinking that you're going to run late to a place. Always happens in five-minute increments. I can get this done over here. Five minutes are gone. I can get this done over here. And then all of a sudden, you're an hour behind schedule. We just don't wake up into our sin. There are decisions that happen five minutes at a time where we slowly start to backslide and then we realize, where am I at? What have I done? And this is where we find Jonah. Jonah, Jonah, the prophet of God during the reign of the evil king Jeroboam II, Jonah, who had the privilege during this time to prophesy and speak blessing to the nation of Israel. Jonah, who had this intimate relationship with God Almighty, who spoke directly to him so that way he could speak then directly to the people. What a privilege it is to be a prophet of God, to be his mouthpiece, to speak the, the oracles of God to God's people. And so God had another task for him. Jonah, arise, we saw, and go. Go to Nineveh, the great and evil city. Nineveh was an evil city. It was a brutal city. It tortured and murdered the Israelites. But let's just make clear right away, Jonah's not afraid for his life. But instead, chapter 4, verse 2 tells us. Verse 1, he expresses his anger towards God. And then he said, I knew that you would save them. That they would repent because you are a God who 
what? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Who does not delight in disaster or is relenting from disaster. You see, Jonah hates the Ninevites and would rather see them perish than experience the graciousness of God's love. So instead of obeying God's command to go to Nineveh, Jonah disobeys and he runs from Nineveh and goes to set off to Tarshish, a place that at that time, Isaiah tells us, knew nothing about the Lord. So what is Jonah trying to do here? He's trying to get away and run to a place where nobody would know who he was, that he could just fly underneath the radar and not obey what God has called him to do. So what Jonah does is Jonah gets up and he flees. He runs to Tarshish, but we ultimately saw that it's not that he's running away from Nineveh, it's that he's running from the presence of God. Once a prophet, intimately talking with the God Almighty, now a prophet on the run going rogue, and as Martin Luther has said, that there's not a place on this earth where Jonah could possibly find a hiding place. Earth has become too small for him to hide. And so Jonah flees and goes down to Joppa, goes down into the ship, and is on his way down to Tarshish. But God instead of allowing Jonah just to flee, does one of the most gracious things that God could do in the life of a disobedient child. He sends a great storm. It's to get Jonah's attention to wake him up. But in verses 5 and 6, we see that Jonah is passed out sleeping underneath the boat. And all of the sailors who are with him are casualties in Jonah's disobedience and sin to run from God's presence. God sends the great storm and the sailors are on the boat fighting for their lives. Their first reaction is to pray out to all of their gods. Their sex, sex, second reaction, it's a mouthful right there, second reaction is to throw over their livelihood, their income. They throw their belongings overboard. Eventually, as they're throwing things overboard, the captain finds Jonah snoozing away, unaware of everything that is going on, and confronts Jonah and says, Jonah, arise and call out, which echoes what God had already called Jonah to do. And so, in this very ironic book and scene, what we see happening is God called Jonah to call out to the pagans, and now the pagans are calling Jonah to call out to God. This is how far Jonah has ran from the presence of the Lord. And we see this in his response, or maybe lack thereof. 
The captain calls Jonah a call out to your God so we may not perish. And what does Jonah do? Nothing. He does absolutely nothing. He does not call out to God. But what I've been encouraging us these past few weeks is that ultimately this book, Jonah, is not about a great fish. It's about a great God. And it's about a great God who has tender and gracious love towards sinners. And how is that? Because God works in and through the disobedience of his children, of sinners. God is at work in the life of this disobedient prophet, and we will see more of that next week through Jonah's prayer. But what we'll see more clearly this morning is that he's at work in the disobedience of Jonah for the sailor's good. And as we move through these verses, we will see the sailors confront Jonah's identity. We will see then Jonah sacrificing himself, and we will see the sailors worshiping God. So here's a question I just want to start off for us. If I were to ask you, or if somebody were to ask you that has never met you, go ahead and tell me about yourself. Who are you? What would your response be? This is what verses 7 through 10 show us. As we see, as they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon. So they cast lots, and it, the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So before we get into the tell me about yourself, we have to deal with this casting lots thing. Up to this point, as I've said, Jonah's trying to fly under the radar. He's trying to go unnoticed. He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord and does not want to let anybody know his little secret. That he is a prophet on the run in disobedience. And so casting lots was a very common thing. It's to see the providence of God. We don't cast the lots anymore per se because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help inform decisions. But back in this time, this was a very common experience. This would be as if you were choosing the short end of the straw or flipping a coin before a, a football game. And Jonah's trying to fly under the radar, and as they cast a lot, it lands on Jonah. The lot outs him. As the dice rolls, Jonah is found out. The storm is brought here because of you. Now, we have to give these sailors some credit 
to have the, the spiritual insight and knowledge to realize that this storm was of something divine and that it was because of someone's sin. And here Jonah is found out. And so they ask him four questions. Four questions that can really be boiled down to three. Where do you work? Where do you live? Who are your people? Tell me about yourself, Jonah. You can tell a lot about what a person values. A lot about what a person sees of themselves and how they answer that question. The saying is, you want to know where the idol is in your heart, what dominates your conversation. I think the truth can be said is, if you want to find out your identity, what's the first thing that you would tell people or explain yourself to people by? Jonah's answer here is very vague. His answer here is very vague, and his answer here actually doesn't really answer the questions at all. It answers one of the questions, but he totally skips over the first few questions and goes straight to, what is it, the last question. What people are you? He skips over the occupation. I don't want to have to tell people that I'm a prophet on the run. I don't want to tell people my country or my land where I come from. So I will tell them I'm a Hebrew. Jonah's first response in the midst of the storm of fleeing from God, knowing that this storm is sent here because of him, is not to tell them that he's a prophet, but to tell them that he is a Hebrew. He goes straight for his ethnicity, straight for his nationality. There is pride that is going along this conversation. Because most likely, these pagan sailors would have known about the Hebrew God. This is why, I believe, Jonah then goes to say what he says next. So he identifies himself first as his nationality, skips over his occupation and everything else, and then, secondly, goes on to say, that I fear the Lord. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And our passage fills us in then how the sailors respond to this realization of (laughs) what they are up against. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. The progression of fearing is quite interesting in this passage. And it's quite ironic 
that Jonah would start off saying, I'm a Hebrew, and then go in to make sure that the people knew that he feared the Lord (laughs) when he's actually running from the Lord right now. Jonah is running from the God that he says he fears. But nonetheless, the reaction of these men are that they fear exceedingly because they have come to the realization that the God who has sent the storm is the Lord of the heavens who has made the dry land and the sea. Christian brother and sister, if you have found yourself backsliding, fleeing from the presence of the Lord, the question that needs to be asked is, what are you running to? Now, I, I know that you've been listening and that we're forgetful. At least I'm a forgetful human being. But I just want to bring up the question again. Tell me about yourself. Who are you? This may just help us realize what we are putting our identity in. When we are living in disobedience to God, when we are fleeing from his presence, we are always, always running to something else. For some people, like Jonah, it's their nationality. It's their ethnicity. For others, it's their hard work. It's their job. For others, it's their family, their, their children. And for some, it's their favorite sports team. And for the Christian, it's easy, even like Jonah, to put the tagline on there And oh, I'm a Christian too. I fear the Lord. But is this not why Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to be citizens of heaven? We just got done with the book of Philippians and we see that in that book he is constantly drawing their attention back to their identity rooted in Christ. Do not, first and foremost, call yourselves as Romans citizens but call yourselves as citizens of heaven and Paul then in the beginning of chapter 3 of Philippians gives this beautiful exposition on his own life I once had all of these titles he says I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews born in the tribe of Benjamin circumcised on the eighth day a Pharisee of the Pharisees as keeping the law a zealot But he says, I count all of that as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Here is a man whose identity is rooted in Christ and far too easy because we are forgetful human beings. We latch on to things here on earth and say, this is what makes me who I am. My job, my school, my friends. All the while, we do not see how we are slowly falling from the presence of the Lord 
as we put more hours into our work. As we spend more time looking up how Aaron Rodgers is going to do this season. As we look for the next best fishing hole. And so Jonah has found himself in a strange place. A bit embarrassed to mention his great calling and his great relationship with God. But here's the deal. Is that God still uses his vague response to the sailors. And we see this in verses 11 through 13. Then they said to him, what shall we do? What shall we do to you that, we, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great temptest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed harder to get back to the dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. It's actually quite amazing. We see that in order for the storm to stop, that Jonah must do something absolutely unthinkable. Their next question for Jonah didn't have to do with his identity anymore. They were looking at Jonah now for the solution. How to calm the storm. And they get the most unexpected answer. Could, I mean, just imagine with me here, being out on a boat with your friends and one stranger, and there's a large storm that you're facing. And this stranger says, you want the storm to stop? Throw me into the sea. Throw me into the sea, Jonah says. Now we have to know, I, I, I feel like this may be a pointless fact, but I think a good fact nonetheless The chances of Jonah knowing how to swim are very, 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 very slim. So this would mean that as they throw Jonah into the sea, that it would be an impending and immediate death as he would sink to the bottom of the sea. This is what these sailors are now faced with. You want the storm to stop, then throw me in. So I think the question needs to be asked, because this is an important question. Is the sailors' first response to the storm is prayer? So why doesn't Jonah just pray? Why does Jonah go all the way to saying, throw me into the sea, when he knew that it would be his death? What's going on here? Is 
Jonah's so gone that the only escape from Nineveh that he sees is death. Does he see himself now as useless? How could God possibly use me? We, we know that he's come to this realization that the storm is because of me. And so is Jonah to a point where he's saying, there's no hope for me anymore. There's no possible way that God could use me, so throw me into the sea. Maybe Jonah is so angry at God's calling that he's going to force these sailors a bad hand so that way Jonah can say, well, they killed me. It's nothing I could do, God. I mean, in chapter 4, Jonah does confess to God or yell to God and say, I'm so angry right now, just let me die. Or is this Jonah's way of repenting? He feels guilt and remorse over his sins, so he's saying, go ahead and just throw me into the sea. My bad, guys. Well, I think we're seeing something in the middle here. I, I don't think we're quite seeing Jonah this desperate, this hopeless. But I, I, I don't think that he's confessing yet. Because next week we'll, we'll see in chapter 2 his confession and repentance. I think it's somewhere in the middle here. Uh, uh, Leslie Allen, one of the commentators that I've been reading, he says it like this. It's, it's not that, that Jonah is desperate or, or so hopeless that he just sees the only way out to throw himself into the sea. And it's not that he's repenting. It's that he's looking at these Ninevites or these uh, sailors with pity. He's pitying them. And so Jonah's conclusion is, well, because God's wrath is on me, Throw me into the sea and it will stop. So this isn't a very noble thing. It's more of just, I'm pitying you, so I guess I'll help you out. I'll sacrifice myself by you throwing me into the sea and that will save you. But the sailors response is actually pretty different. The sailors respond, I mean, the amazing thing about this book is that although the sailors do not fear the Lord at this point, they sure have been living a life way better than what Jonah has been living. Because we see the, the nobleness in these next few verses. Instead of throwing Jonah into the sea. Instead, they start to row. They row. They row as hard as they can to the dry land. But our passage makes clear that their rowing is pointless because as they row harder and harder, the waves and wind only pick up. There's a great truth here that we can't miss. Jonah says, I'm willing to sacrifice myself in order to save you. And the sailor's gut response isn't 
anger or let's take this guy out. And so let's work harder. We fall short of the glory of God. And like the sailors, our gut reaction is to work as hard as we can, is to row harder and harder against the wrath of God. (laughs) Jesus says, I will be your sacrifice. Jesus will say, I will take on the wrath of God for you. Jesus says, I will go down into the belly of the earth for three days and three nights and raise so that when you put your faith in me, the wrath of God won't be on you anymore. And do you know what most of our responses are right away? Go ahead and sit down, Jesus. I've got this. Let me row a little bit harder. I've got this. Don't you worry. You just sit right there. Let me row. And as life gets harder, which it does, we try to work harder and harder and harder. And what we do is we start to believe the lie that if I just try to do as many good things for God, when I meet him one day, I could say, look at all of these things, God. You've got to let me in. Only to be told, depart from me, for I never knew you. We row harder and harder. Instead, Jesus says, just trust me. Just trust me. I mean, this is the amazing thing about Christianity, is it not? Is that we can't do it, so God comes to do it. Whereas every other religion says, if you just row hard enough, you might make it to heaven. This was the response of the sailors. Jonah says, I know how to save you. They say, sit down. That is, until they realized there's no possible way they could row hard enough to get back to the dry land. And what is their response? What do they do? Verses 14 through 16 show us. Therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it, as it pleased. So they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The first thing that these sailors do is they confess and they come to the Lord. Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. Forgive us of what we are about to do. We are the ones who are about to sacrifice him and throw him into the sea. Lay not on us the innocent blood. Forgive us, God. And as they hurled Jonah into the sea, the most incredible scene, I wish, if there are two scenes that I wish I could be a part of in Scripture, it would be this one 
and when Jesus is on the boat with his disciples. Because it says that when they picked Jonah up and hurled him in to the sea, the sea ceased from its raging. It stopped. It stopped. Before the last drop of the splash of Jonah could hit the top of the sea, the winds died down and the waves ceased. I mean, this is what it's like us when we believe in Jesus. God doesn't look at us anymore as enemies. God's wrath is no longer on us, but instead we are looked at as sons and daughters, co-heirs to the kingdom. But there is a certain response when you encounter the living God that happens. There is a response of receiving such a great act of mercy that, that you can only do. And it's what these sailors do. The men feared the Lord exceedingly. The progression of, I'd love to do sometime a sermon series on this. They feared the wind and the waves. They feared the storm. That's what they first feared. When Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, they fear the God. And now their fear leads them to awe and reverence. And it led them right away the captain to say we need to sacrifice something we need to make vows right now to live for God for the Lord God almighty we once were the target of his wrath and now we have been saved I said it a few times, the book of Jonah is just littered with irony. And this passage is no different. The whole point of Jonah was to go to Nineveh and proclaim, to call out against it. And God's plan, as we will see, is to lead them to repentance. And Jonah knew that that was a high likelihood. And so that's why he runs. The irony here is that now these pagan sailors are the object of God's grace through the prophet Jonah. <laughs> if this isn't evangelism and the sovereignty of God, I don't know what is. So where does this leave us this morning? What is implied here for us to do or not to do, or better yet, what is implied here for us to believe? The first thing is that we see in, that in Jonah's disobedience, God is actually able to use it for his good and glory. Now, let me stop here and say, does that mean that we continue on sinning so that grace may abound? No. By no means Paul says. But what this does mean is that God works through our shortcomings and failures. He draws 
straight lines with crooked, stri- with crooked sticks. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, and you're weighed down by your past unfaithfulness, your past disobedience to, to God. And you're just worried, I just messed up too big. I just messed up and there's no possible way that God could work any type of good through this. Do not forget Jonah. Do not forget the sailors because this is what we see. Is that through Jonah's disobedience, the sailors experience salvation. And maybe you're in the storm right now. Maybe you're the sailor. And you're just thinking, nothing good could possibly come from what I am going through. My heart is weighed down. My mind is racing. And the unfaithfulness and disobedience of another person has severely hurt me and wounded me. And quite frankly, I just don't know if I can trust. I don't know if I'll ever get through the storm. Let's look at the sailors. Because something good did come out of it. And here's the reality. In the midst of the storm, they probably did not think that anything good would come out of it. They probably thought, I am going to die. And yet, God used the disobedience of Jonah for the salvation of the sailors. What man means for evil, God means for good. What Jonah just doesn't realize is that God uses him to show his power to the sailors. And the sailors' response is belief. And here's the tragic reality that if I don't mention, I feel like it would be a disservice of finishing this passage. The tragic reality is that there are people like Jonah, friends, siblings, parents, even more true because Jonah is a prophet I think this is even more applicable to pastors ministry leaders missionaries who abuse their power and run from their responsibility to obey God but praise God that in a very mysterious way he is able to work in and through their disobedience to show people that God has a tender and gracious love towards sinners. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy of our worship. God, would you please comfort us? Would you please show us your mercy and grace and allow us to marvel at your great love? Would you stir our affections that as we leave here this morning, we would leave knowing how great you are.
In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.